If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. If not, it's fine. They'll throw it up on the screen for you here in a minute. Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we're in a series called Listen to Jesus. And we are trying to rid ourselves of anything that we believe about God that we cannot find in Jesus. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the perfect representation of everything that God is. And so if there's something in the Bible that you read that doesn't pass the test of Jesus, then maybe that's Old Covenant. And we're not in the Old Covenant anymore. We're in the New Covenant with better promises. Some of y'all act like you don't believe that this morning. Maybe it's too early for you to believe that something that good is... Is this the, here's the thing about the gospel. Sometimes it's hard to believe because it sounds too good to be true. And um, I want to I talk to you a little bit about that more today. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is what Paul writes. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it was really in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by you believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's you and I. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, he said. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Why is this? Because everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Is anybody thankful for the word of God? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask over these moments we have together that you would speak to us in a world full of so much confusion and chaos and so few places to even find a sure footing. Really, the only place to find a place for our foot that will not slip is in you. And so help us today as we as we as we go through your word to understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. You know, inevitably, when you start to talk about the grace of God or the love of God, you start to feel this, uh, this tension. Um, and I think that tension is this. What's the point of living right if God loves us no matter what we do? <laughs> what's the point of that? So if God loves me no matter what, what's the point of me doing what the Bible tells me to do? Because if he's going to love me no matter what, then I'm just going to do what I want. Because if the end result is going to be the end result, then I might as well live how I want to live. And there's a tension there because I think for the people that um, hear the message of the grace of God and the love of God and assume that that's what the grace of God and the love of God means, I think maybe you feel that way because you're not born again. Because there's a part of you that thinks that because God loves me and God it's going to save me and I'm going to get to heaven no matter what, then you haven't been born again. Because the Bible teaches in 1 John 3 and 9 that those who have been born again, born of God, they cannot continue in sin. The word continue there in the Greek just means practice. It doesn't mean you won't sin because the Bible clearly says that if you say that you have no sin, then you're a liar. The truth is not in you. So as a Christian, you are going to sin, but a Christian does not practice sin. A Christian does not go, I know God's word says I should not do that. But because God loves me, I'm going to do what I want. You're not born again if you think that way. Because to be born again means this. Galatians 2 20 puts it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If the Son lives in you, if you look at the life of Jesus and you listen to Jesus, Jesus clearly wanted to please the Father in everything that he did. If there isn't a part of you that desires to please God, then I would say you haven't been born again because if you've been born again, the Son lives in you and the Son desires to please the Father. So if, if you're the type of person who is like, man, you, you want to use the grace of God as a license to do whatever you want to, you're not born again. And you can put faith in Jesus Christ today and be born again. You might go to church because you can go to church and not be born again. Come on, somebody. You can, like, you can grow up in a Christian home and not be born again. Just because mommy and daddy believe it doesn't mean you automatically are born again. So, you know, when you talk about these things, inevitably there are people who are going to say, well, you got to talk about the other side. You got to talk about living right and all of that stuff. And I'm like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. If, 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 yeah, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm going to talk about it, but if anybody's going to change, it's not going to be because Robbie said don't do that. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you say, hey, that's not who you are. That's not your identity in Christ. So can we move off of that, please? Can we? 
Can we, can we move beyond those little elementary things every now and then? Because I, I think, I think that, that if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in the same thing that the church in Galatia was caught up in. <laughs> in Galatians chapter 3, it appears that there is a uh, group of Jewish professing Christians who claim to have even James on their side in, in Galatians 2 and 12. They come from James. Paul even addresses at one time he had to confront Peter because Peter would, when his Jewish friends would come around, he would act like he didn't know any Gentiles. So when his Jewish friends were around, he would act like, oh, I'm really into the law stuff. Then when the Jews would leave, Peter would be like, I'm all about this freedom in Christ stuff. And so Paul had to confront Peter. That's why even if James says it, you got to run it through Jesus. That's why even if it's in the book of Peter, you have to be like, does this agree with what Jesus said? Romans chapter 5, Paul's preaching really good. He's, he's had basically two weekends, you know, of good Sundays. <laughs> Throw in a first Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, he gets to this point in his message where he says something incredible. He goes, um, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so he, he starts to feel this tension that, you and I start to feel when we talk about the grace of God. It's like, well, <laughs> if, if when we sin, grace abounds even more, why shouldn't we just sin so we can experience more grace? So chapter 5 ends and turns into chapter 6, and Paul asks this question. He says, should we continue in sin so that grace will abound? He says, absolutely not. So this issue of whether or not God cares about sin now that we are believers is, is a, is a um, immature question because it assumes that you can continue and make a practice of sin and be a son or daughter of God. So if you see someone who is, has a practice of sin and has no desire to change, you should assume they are not born again. That's what they did in the New Testament. Okay. <laughs> Here what is happening is what happens more in church and more in the kingdom than I think we want to recognize is that we have Christians who claim to know Jesus who are teaching that it's not enough to trust in the righteousness that Christ provides through his sacrifice. You know that all 13 of Paul's letters begin with this, grace to you. All 13 of Paul's letters end with this, grace be with you. 
It's an interesting thought. Just thought I'd throw it out there. It doesn't have anything to do with my message. Just <laughs> So they're telling these new Gentile believers that in order to really be justified, in order to be right with God, your faith must be supplemented, supplemented with works of the law. Because trusting in what Christ did for you is not enough. You have, now you have work to do for God. So God's work plus your work equals justification. That's what they're teaching. So they were requiring stuff like circumcision. In chapter 2, verse 3, we see that. Dietary restrictions. And in Galatians chapter 4, they were trying to require that they kept the feasts and the holy days. But as far as Paul was concerned, if you buy into this mixing or mingling of faith and works, you, chapter 2, verse 21 of Galatians says you nullify the grace of God. Nowhere does the Bible say you nullify the grace of God by making mistakes. But the Bible says you nullify the grace of God by trying to add to the work of Jesus with your works. Chapter 2 verse 14 says you, you, when you do this, you step out of sync with the truth of the gospel. And so as close as it may sound to good... And as good as it may feel to, to believe that your works have something to do with your salvation, it's another gospel, Paul says. It's not the gospel. And, and those who follow it and teach it are cut off from Christ. I would, I, would, I would suggest to you that there are more people who are cut off from Christ because they <laughs> think that they are joined to Christ because of their goodness than people who are cut off from Christ because they went to the club Friday. I'm, I'm assuming some of us in this room went to a club this weekend. That's, just, that's a big assumption. But I'm assuming it's not. Part of me wants to ask you to raise your hand if you went to a club this weekend. Because I, I really want this to be accurate. But, but I feel like the majority in this room are not struggling with the club. The majority in this room are struggling with whether or not I'm really loved by God, accepted by God the way the Bible says I am. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, he says, those who live according to the flesh will die. I have to help you to understand that not every time the Bible says, and especially when Paul says the flesh, not every time Paul says the flesh is he talking about immoral behavior. Let me help you with this. The flesh, this is the best definition of it I really ever heard. The flesh is any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. 
Remember at the beginning of Galatians 3, Paul says, you having begun in the spirit, do you now think you can finish the work of God by the flesh? And when he says the flesh there, he's not talking about immoral behavior. Okay. Because <laughs> when, you, when you and I think of the flesh, all we think about is lying and greed, murder, and for good reason, because those are the works of the flesh, but they are not the flesh. The flesh, when Paul talks about the flesh, he is talking about any human action or achievement that we do that doesn't depend upon the Holy Spirit. That could be a work of the flesh or a work of righteousness. Let me, let me prove it to you. So Galatians chapter 5, right? Verse 19 through 20 tell you these are the works of the flesh, right? They're obvious, he says. These things are obvious. These are clear. What we battle with is not the obvious stuff. Even people who don't know God think it's wrong to cheat on your spouse. Even people who don't know God think it's wrong to murder. So Paul goes, these are the works of the flesh. These things are obvious. He lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, Factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. <laughs> Paul's like, he gets really specific here. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, he doesn't say those who have done these, because of such were some of you, he said. So you used to live like this, but because you are now born again, you don't live like this anymore. It doesn't mean you don't still struggle with some of these same desires. But it means that because Jesus, the son, lives on the inside of you, you fight against those desires because your desire now is to please the father, not the flesh. So he says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The only way you inherit something is if you are a son or a daughter. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. If anyone, he says thinks he has reason for what? Confidence in the flesh. I have more. And then he starts to list those things in the flesh. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So it's not just flesh to lose your cool. He says it's flesh to think that your circumcision makes you closer to God. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin had the first king in Israel. So it's, it's considered the greatest tribe in Israel. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is talking about his physical pedigree. Then he goes on. All of that is physical or ethnic or identity and he says I used to boast in those things they were the flesh and then he makes it even clearer how broad the flesh is 
Philippians 3, 5 through 6, he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. This guy had a maxed out focus on the Old Testament. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's not only living according to the highest standard of the law, he is doing it with zeal. And then he says this, he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But I was still going to hell. So I had the physical makeup. I had the works makeup. And none of it mattered. And he called it all. What did he call it? Flesh. So when the Bible's talking about flesh, God is not just referring to the works of the flesh. When the Bible is talking about the flesh, God is really challenging us in the area of any human action or achievement that does not depend on the Holy Spirit. So he calls the flesh law keeping, (laughs) zeal, success in morality. And then he goes on to say about all of it, whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. So I came to tell some people today that if you're not careful, you will believe a lie that tells you that Jesus and his death only make you tolerable to God. If you read the Bible the wrong way and you pull scripture out of context or you don't take scripture and run it through the filter of the finished work of Jesus Christ, then you can develop a mindset that believes that the only reason Jesus came and died was to make us tolerable to God. In other words, God was so disgusted by humanity that Jesus had to come and stand in between us and a God who hates our guts just to make us tolerable. And what that will do is that will create in you the idea and an identity that there is no intrinsic value in you. Only in Christ. So I have to move you away from that idea because Jesus was not punished so that God could love us. Jesus was punished because God does love us. John 3.16 tells me, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but he sent his son into the world to save it. That's the gospel. Jesus died 
to restore fellowship with God because God wants to be with us forever. God doesn't need you. He wants you. And if you think that he just tolerates you, then you have misunderstood why Jesus came. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus described the kingdom this way. He said in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Religion will tell you that that parable is about you finding God and selling everything you have to possess God. Here's the problem. God has never been for sale. God has never been lost. God has never been in the field. We are the fine pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like this, a merchant looking for fine pearls. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. You weren't seeking God. God was seeking you. So in this parable, like all of the other parables, you are not the merchant. God is the merchant. You... You are not selling all that you have to buy God. God sold all that he had to buy and redeem you. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say the merchant was looking for horrible, worthless jewelry, fake gold. He was looking for fine pearls. Somebody gets it. (laughs) And until you believe that that's how God sees you, you will think that you are just being tolerated by God and that God is just putting up with you and that any moment Jesus could kind of remove and God could get his really, the way he wants to deal with you is going to... No, you are the pearl that God was searching for. And when he found you, the Bible says you were so valuable that he 
he didn't just he didn't just purchase the pearl. He bought the field that the pearl was located in. Religion has created an empire out of you trying harder. And they are more than happy to keep taking your money while they do it. And you need to silence every voice that questions God's love for you. You know, you know it's wild. I was thinking, if we were to write the most accurate Christian book possible, I think about you, you go into the Christian bookstore and you read it. It's like six steps to healing four ways to a wonderful marriage. I'm like, there's way more than four, dude. You know? Eight ways to (laughs) financial recovery. And how many of us have followed all the rules and done all the things and still didn't get the result we were looking for? Because the most accurate book that we could write should be called God Did It. God did. <laughs> DJ Collins got one thing right. God did. God did it. How did you get such a successful ministry? God did. How has your marriage made it 20 years? God did it. Because for all the people who did all the stuff right and their marriage made it, I've got examples of people who did all the stuff right and it still didn't work. He said, here you are. Who bewitched you? You started in the spirit. This all started with you just saying, God, I believe You can save me. And now you're out here trying to finish in the flesh. Because all of us are like, yeah, I get it, man. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not about works. But now that I'm saved, what am I supposed to do? In the New Testament, when you hear Jesus talk about keeping his commands... He talks about the keeping of his commands are motivated by love for him. Where does love for him come from? The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. John says that the one who keeps his commands will live. And then he goes on and says, this is his command. That you believe in him. What commands am I supposed to keep? John says, believe in him. <laughs> oh, man, we hate this message, don't we? Because, man, this takes, this, takes the, this takes all of our part, all of our glory from us and gives it all back to Jesus. Acts like what he did on the cross was enough. There are a lot of people in this room, you are still concerned with, well, what if, 
What if he rejects me? What if I get to heaven and I haven't? <laughs> First Corinthians one twenty three. Jesus. The Bible tells us there that. Hang on a second. <laughs> Getting a little uh, emotional, and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1.23 says that the Jews stumbled over the gospel and that the Gentiles thought it was foolishness. The Jews stumbled over it because they could not believe that they couldn't earn it. And the, Galatia, or the Gentiles, stumbled, or it was foolishness to the Galatians because it didn't make any sense to them in their get what you earn mindset. Get what you deserve. So Jesus would say stuff like this. He would say, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will I by any means cast out. Well, there's got to be some people that you're going to cast out. He says, no one who comes to me will I by any means cast out out why in the world would you want to earn something that you can receive for free I thought about this for a while and then I realized it's pride there's no sense of self-validation if you get it for free all the glory goes to God and not your effort this is why the gospel is foolishness to people So I'm going to encourage you today. Run from a gospel that connects your performance to God's love. I don't change to be accepted. I change because I'm accepted. Run from a gospel that uses threats to change you or compel you. Somebody's like, why don't you preach about tithing more? <laughs> I just feel like once you understand how much you are loved by God, nobody has to talk to you about math. Tithe is the minimum anyway. If I'm out here trying to convince you to give 10%, then I, it, you don't understand how much you are loved because when you understand how much you are loved, you're like, my bank account, it's God's. It, it all belongs to him. I'm just a steward. If you're out here like, <laughs> my problem is that you're just as much, when you sit there and you're down to the penny, I better $89.83. You know what you just did? You just gave God the minimum. And you might have you might have done it because you believe it's it's zeal. But Paul said, you can have a zeal that's flesh. I just don't think I have to talk to you about math if you know how much you're loved. 
just, I just don't believe I have to talk to you about percentages if you know how much you love because you look at it and you go, man, everything I have is God. What do you, what do you, want, what do you want me to give, God? Like nothing I give will compare to what you have given to me. So whatever you ask, it's, it's all yours anyway. Where's the motivation, Rob? What, what, like, like, where's the motivation for me to leave this place and live for God? Suffering of Jesus. Paul said, all of my achievements, all of my law keeping, all of my good behavior, It's worthless. You know what I want to know? I want to know Jesus. And I want to have fellowship with his suffering. Because nothing will motivate me like knowing what God did. Not because he is trying to tolerate me, but because he loves me. And he desires fellowship with me so Father in Jesus name help us to not get bewitched help us to not fall for another gospel that ties our performance to God's care and love for us Help us to allow ourselves to be fully loved, to be fully accepted, to be fully received. So that out of that overflow of love, we begin to now experience sanctification that process by which you make us more and more like your son but you don't make us like your son by guilt trips you make us by like your son through your love and we thank you that we are loved today and i pray for every person in this room who is struggling in their identity struggling with acceptance that they would they would see a God who loves them just as they are but he loves them too much to leave them that way with every head bowed every eye closed if you would in this room and you're in here and you say Robbie I'm far away from God and I need to be saved today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you're in this room today and you've been living in the flesh. Not just in the works of the flesh, but in the flesh in the sense that you have thought that by your zeal or by your physical traits or by your rule keeping that you were close to God only to realize that you were just as far from God as the person who's never put faith in God. You were just as cut off from Christ as the person who had never believed in Christ. 
If that's you, I want to count to three. When I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. We're going to pray a prayer. And I believe that God is going to begin to change your life supernaturally by his grace in this moment. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air today. If that's you. Amen. I see hands all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's stand up on our feet. And as we stand on our feet, let's, let's pray this prayer together with those who lifted their hands, church. Let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you mine. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sin. Thank you for receiving me. I confess you as Lord in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and bless God. Amen. Amen. I love you so much. Our altar team will be up front if you'd love to meet someone and talk to someone today. We'd love to meet you. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. We'll see you soon.